Hi, I'm Leslie Liddy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, I'm really excited to be starting a new series called Navigating Modern Christianity. And this is a series where we're going to just take a look at all of the things that so many of us are burdened by and concerned about in the modern church, maybe Christians in our own lives who seem to be allowing in a lot of apathy and compromise and worldliness and false doctrine. It just seems to be very prevalent today. How do we as set-apart women, as those who are seeking to build our lives around Jesus Christ, how do we respond to the compromise and the issues and the problems that we see in modern Christianity? And How do we respond in a Christ-like way? Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for a season to really become grounded in discernment and faith and truth and go deeper with Jesus than you ever have before in your life, consider joining us for a week or a five-week season at Ellerslie. This is such an amazing opportunity to come away from the cares and the distractions of daily life and really press into Christ in a way that maybe you haven't been able to do in the past. It's great for every age. We have couples come, families come, individuals of all ages and backgrounds from all over the world. So you'll be right at home no matter what your age or season of life. It's just a time where we all truly seek Christ passionately together. So if you would like more information about our 2024 Ellerslie Discipleship Training Programs, you can go to ellerslie.com and click on Overview of programs, or you can click the link in this podcast description. Let's dive into our first episode in Navigating Modern Christianity, and the message that I want to focus on today is gaining God's heart for the modern church. Now, some of the areas that we're going to touch on in this series are things like compromise in the church, legalism and strongholds of legalism in the church, lack of discernment in the church, allowing in doctrine that is not biblically based, just the church splits that are very prevalent, the judgmental attitudes of so many Christians, or really just becoming obsessed with one specific aspect of a doctrine that maybe isn't center to Christianity, but it's like a side doctrine that people become obsessed with, maybe emphasizing politics and conservatism over Christianity. And the list goes on and on of things that we have seen, that we are exposed to, that bother us, that disturb us. But before we jump into those specific issues, I think it's so critical that we gain God's heart for the modern church. One of the number one challenges that our Ellerslie students express to us over the past 14 years that we've been leading Ellerslie is that they feel that they are not in a biblically-based church and they're having a hard time finding a biblically-based church and they're not really sure how to respond to Christians around them who are living a compromised life that isn't really centered around Jesus Christ. And that is so widespread and so prevalent. The church today is weak. There's no doubt about it. We are missing something. It doesn't mean that we don't have churches that believe the right things or say the right things or do the right things, that we don't have a relationship with Christ. But so often it is very lackluster, is very much falling short of what God intended the church to be. And because of that reality, it can be very tempting for those of us who really do want to be all in for Jesus to look around and see the apathy and the compromise and the false doctrine or whatever we might be disturbed by and become cynical and critical of the believers around us and towards 
towards the church in general. And some even want to completely isolate themselves from other Christians because they feel like, well, there's no like-minded Christians that I can fellowship with. But I think it's so important that we take a step back and really gain God's perspective, his heart towards modern believers and his heart toward the modern church may surprise us. If we take a look at it from a biblical perspective, it's really surprising to realize that God hasn't given up on wayward believers today because we want to look at it and say, well, I'm sure he's just sick and tired of this compromise and he's just sort of disgusted. But actually, that's not what you see when you look at scripture. The lukewarm church in Revelation describes the modern American church almost to a T if you really look at the description. In Revelations 3, 15 through 17, Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now that's a pretty harsh rebuke. And yet I think we can look around and see the church and say, you know, that is really what we see in so many modern churches. There's like this lukewarmness. It's just a comfortable Christianity. Christians who just go about their own business, live their own lives, and then kind of show up at church once a week. That's very, very typical. And churches that don't really have spiritual passion or fervor, they're just kind of going through the motions. It's not like they're cold where they've rejected God, but they're definitely not spiritually hot. And it's very easy to look at the wealth and the property and the bells and whistles that so many churches today have and think, you know, it's very similar to what we're seeing in this statement here. You've become wealthy and you say, I'm rich and I have need of nothing. And Eric and I have spoken in so many churches that have just millions of dollars of equipment and fancy buildings and all sorts of programs, but they are spiritually dead. So this verse really does hit home. And yet it's very easy to look at this verse and say, well, there you go. God's just going to vomit the American church out of his mouth. He's disgusted with them. But he gives them a rebuke, not because he is disgusted by them, but because of his great love for them. It says in the next verse, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So he doesn't just rebuke them and say, I'm disgusted with you. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's because I love you that I am rebuking and chastening you and giving you a chance to be zealous and to repent. Also, he doesn't just give them a rebuke and leave them at that. He also presents them with a loving invitation to enter back into unhindered fellowship with him. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This is an astounding verse on the heels of such a sharp rebuke, because when he talks about opening the door and coming in and dining with us, what he means is intimate communion and fellowship between dear friends. That is his heart. That is what he desires, even for this lukewarm church that is neither hot nor cold. And that is the same principle that applies to the church today. He's not just looking at the church in disgust. His heart is burning 
burdened, his heart is saddened, and he desires that intimate, unhindered fellowship. And then he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame. That is incredible to think that he is still wanting to give this lukewarm church the privilege of sitting with him on his throne in his kingdom when they overcome, when they heed his rebuke, when they are zealous and they repent, they overcome and he gives them that honor. So he hasn't given up on this church, even though in their state of lukewarmness, he would want to vomit them out of his mouth. He's saying, I don't want to leave it there. And I believe that's what he's doing in his perspective on the modern church as well. He's inviting us as modern believers, as a church, back into that place of unhindered intimacy with him. Those of us who have had a desire to see revival come to our churches, our country, this is really the heart of revival is coming back to that place of intimacy with him. If you look at all of the revivals that really were truly real all throughout history and biblically as well, what you see as a first fruits of real revival is repentance. And so this is really a recipe for true revival here in these verses, be zealous and repent. And the purpose of repenting, the purpose of coming away from that lukewarmness is to be back into a place of unhindered intimacy with him, fellowship with him, because that is what he desires. That is one of the things that the cross allows us to do is enter into that place of unhindered fellowship with him where sin is not a barrier between us and the Lord anymore. And each of us needs to grapple with that question, do we really have God's heart for the modern church? How do we respond when we see lukewarmness all around us? Do we want to just vomit it out of our mouth and leave it at that? Or are we burdened? Are we willing to give a message of repentance out of love, out of a desire for fellowship, out of a desire to point believers around us back into a place of intimacy with Christ? Or even if we've had lukewarmness in our own life, it's really easy to look at a verse like this and think, well, I guess this is the end of the story. God's just going to vomit me out of his mouth and I guess that's the end. That's all that there is. Or do we really understand his heart for restored fellowship with us? When we dive into these verses, we can see that even his sharp rebukes are coming from a place of love and desire for relationship. Another place you can see this so clearly in scripture is God's heart towards the city of Nineveh, that Old Testament story where Jonah was called by God to go give a message of repentance to these people, and they were so utterly depraved and wicked, and Jonah wanted to give up on them and vomit them out of his mouth, and he was just like, no, I don't want to go and preach a message of repentance because if they do repent, then God is going to be merciful to them, and they don't deserve that. I would rather run away, hide from my calling, and let that city be destroyed destroyed by their sin. He didn't have God's heart toward Nineveh, but God was actually desiring restored relationship with these people that had gone so far away from his heart. And Jonah's heart towards Nineveh is very similar to how our heart is often towards the modern church. God's heart towards Nineveh was actually pretty shocking that he would give them another chance, that he even desired relationship. And Jonah had to go through a whole process of actually being vomited out of the mouth of a whale to understand that God wanted to give Nineveh another chance and he needed to have God's heart in order to deliver that message to them. The reality as you study scripture and you study the way that God handles people entrenched in sin and wayward believers is that he hasn't given up on the modern church. He hasn't given up even on our country that keeps going in this direction of depravity and darkness any more than he was willing to give up on the people of Nineveh who were totally given over to wickedness and 
and sin. His heart is for repentance and restoration. It's really easy to point the finger outward and criticize when we see believers whose lives are not really living out their faith in a powerful way. They're comfortable in their mediocrity. One of the things that I have learned because This is something I've struggled with for years, especially when Eric and I were full-time traveling. We were in different churches every weekend, and we were seeing so much compromise and so much mediocrity that I just began to develop a very critical spirit. God had to show me that the process has to begin with me as an individual. He needed to bring me through a personal process of repentance before I could really be an instrument of change in the modern church. So if you have a burden for the modern church, if you're frustrated by the apathy that you see all around you, ask yourself the question, am I willing for God to shine the searchlight into my own soul? Am I willing for him to start that revival process with me? This really hit home a number of years ago in my life when I was very disillusioned with the modern church. And I remember being in a green room, getting ready to go speak at a mega church. And I think I've told this story on a couple of different podcasts, but it's just such a key moment in my life. And it fits really well with what I'm expressing through God's heart for the modern church, because it was a time when I did not have God's heart for the modern church. I was just really irritated by what I was seeing. We had been in so many churches where the pastor seemed like a hypocrite and the people seemed to just be going through the motions of Christianity. And here we were in this green room and we were getting ready to speak and this worship team was back there and they were talking about everything ungodly you could talk about. They were talking about crude jokes from a popular TV show and some blockbuster movie that definitely wasn't godly and some you know sports team that was really capturing their fancy. None of it had anything to do with Christ. And then the pastor came in, prayed a one-minute prayer. They all snapped into their spiritual mode and they went out on the stage and they were just leading worship with their hands lifted. And it felt like hypocrisy and I was disgusted by it. But at that very moment, God said, you have the same compromise in your own life. And it was really a statement that took me off guard because I thought I was fine because I didn't agree with the compromise that I saw in the Christians around me. I didn't like the hypocrisy that I saw in churches. And so I assumed that that meant I was spiritually on fire, but I started to take a look at my life and how I had become lukewarm without even realizing it. I had allowed this just apathy to creep in. My free time, my spare time was mostly spent on just shallow, trivial things, and I wasn't passionately going after Christ. Christ anymore. Part of it was because I felt justified, like I'm so tired from ministry, I just need a time to kind of mentally and spiritually unplug for a while. And part of it was just simply, I was around compromise, so I had allowed it to creep into my own life. I was comparing myself to other Christians, and I thought, well, if I'm not doing this and watching those shows and talking about that stuff, then of course I'm okay. But God began to point out that I had left my first love, that I had slipped into a place of lukewarmness. And he said, before I can really show you Anything that you can do to influence the Christians around you to something more, you have to allow me to purge that lukewarmness out of your own life. And it was a very, very key moment where I stopped pointing the finger at other people and I allowed God to shine the searchlight into my own soul. Now, how do we know if we have slipped into lukewarmness? Because for me, I really honestly did not see it until that moment in the green room where God made it so clear to me. Some warning signs of lukewarmness might be quiet times become more of an obligation. a joy. It's not something we 
are excited to do. It's something we feel like we have to do. Prayer becomes more of a duty. It's no longer a delight. It's like, well, yeah, I guess I better pray. Or maybe we believe all the right things, but we really don't have spiritual hunger or passion anymore. And Or maybe we've even slid into this idea that spiritual passion comes and goes. It's just an emotional high. You get pumped up about a spiritual truth and then it fades. And that's actually not biblical at all, but we can so easily just accept that as the reality for our lives. So chances are you've gone through a season of lukewarmness or maybe you're in one right now. It's a common thing in modern Christianity. I know I've struggled with it at different seasons of my life. Is there a cure for lukewarmness? Jesus' answer is yes. And that can be very encouraging for those of us who recognize that we are in a place of lukewarmness. Jesus says there is a solution. There's a cure. Modern Christians often say, don't feel guilty about spiritual apathy or compromise or mediocrity. You can't be passionate all the time. That's just a normal part of being a Christian. You're just going to have ups and downs. Spiritual apathy may be normal in today's Christian world, but Jesus says we don't have to remain in a place of spiritual apathy. Now, that does not mean we're always going to be at a place of emotional ecstasy when it comes to our Christianity. Our emotions will go up and down, but our soul can remain anchored to Jesus. Our spiritual passion can remain alive and on fire. And so after that night, when I allowed God to really show me he needed to start with me, I needed to remove the plank from my eyes so I could truly help others overcome apathy. I began to pray the prayer, Lord, send a revival and let it begin with me. And I began to recognize that spiritual apathy may be a present reality in the modern church. It may be something that is constantly tempting me and pulling me towards to to fall into. But Jesus says there is something we can do about it. He says in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and that you anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. There's so much truth in those few sentences and so many practical spiritual steps forward that we can take if we take Jesus' advice to heart. So I want to focus on the first one specifically. He says, to overcome spiritual apathy, we are to buy his gold refined in the fire that we may be rich. What does that actually mean? Gold refined in the fire. When I first began to study this verse, I studied the refining process of gold. And you can even just Google the refining process of gold and you'll discover a lot of this, but here's just a summary of how the refining process works. Refining with flame is one of the oldest methods of refining metals. In ancient times, this form of refining involved a craftsman sitting next to a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities or the dross that rose to the top. Today, gold is melted at a temperature between roughly 1,000 and 12,000 degrees Celsius, which is much higher in Fahrenheit. When the mixture reaches this temperature, it melts. That's sort of an understatement. The metals in the alloys separate one from another upon melting and all impurities rise to the surface. That is the word picture or the analogy of what God wants to do in our souls. Are we willing to let him shine the searchlight within our own souls and bring dross to the surface to be cleansed from our lives? It's not an easy process to walk through, but the result is truly beautiful because it leads to lasting spiritual passion. It removes apathy and mediocrity from our lives. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
After that night in the green room, Eric and I really pressed into God in a whole new way. And we asked God to refine us like gold refined in the fire. And he began to gently bring impurities to the surface and show us areas of our life that we needed to make right. And sometimes they were just attitudes or habits that we had allowed in, attitudes even towards other Christians. Sometimes they were compromises that we had allowed in because we were comparing ourselves to other Christians and we didn't seem like we were doing so bad. And so we just had allowed these compromises into our life and we began to repent of those things one by one and allow God to remake those areas of our lives. And we went through our own personal revival season. And that really is what led to our ministry now that the ministry of Ellerslie would not exist if we had not allowed God to take us through that refining process. If we would just sat around and complained about the modern church, but not asked God to start with us. And this is a process that we have to continually walk through. It's not like you just go through a personal revival once and that's it. We always need to be coming back to God and saying, Lord, refine me as gold refined in the fire, bring the impurities to the surface and cleanse them out of my life. Amy Carmichael said this, are we going in the way Christ has gone or are we only talking and praying and singing about it? What about our likes and dislikes? What about our choices? What about self? Christ is the way that says no to the I that rises up so often and in its many different disguises. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself or say no to himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is a very convicting statement. We can talk and sing and pray about going the narrow way that Christ has gone, but are we really willing to say no to self, take up our cross daily and follow him? Are we really willing to let him purge everything out of our lives that does not reflect him? There is not much in the modern Christian world that encourages us to say no to self. So this is a process oftentimes that God has to walk us through personally because we may not hear a sermon preached about it. We may not read a book about it in the Christian bookstores, and yet it's a very important biblical foundational truth, and it's where revival begins. A lot of times in modern Christianity, we are shown how to just protect our own interests and look out for ourselves. Jesus says, if we seek to save our lives, we will lose them. And if we lose our lives, which means lay down our rights for his sake, we will find them. That is where true revival begins, both on a personal level and on a corporate level. A study of all the great revivals throughout history, they all begin with repentance and a burning desire to be right with God. There's a revival that I've often studied or read about called the Hebrides Revival, which took place on some islands in Scotland in the earlier to mid-1900s. And one story that is just so astounding to me The church had been awakened to pray for their island because there was so much apathy and so much spiritual compromise and no spiritual hunger. And especially there was a lot of apathy among the young people on the island. There wasn't anyone in the church below the age of about 50 or 60. So all the young people were just done with God and they were partying and doing their own thing. And this group of people had gathered together to pray and pray for revival and pray for the young people that they'd be spiritually awakened. And finally, the breakthrough came and a whole bunch of these young adults were at a pub. They were drinking, they were dancing. And suddenly all at once, they all became disgusted with what they were doing and had this burning desire to get right with God. And so they fled to the church. They ran away from the pub. And one of the accounts says they ran away from this pub as if they were fleeing from a plague. It was like they didn't want to be there anymore. They didn't have the desire for it. And they ran to the church and it was late at night, but all these people were already there gathered to pray for them. And so they welcomed them in and those 
those young people knelt and gave their lives to Christ. What an amazing and powerful story. But again, it shows how revivals begin with that heart for repentance and a burning desire to be right with God. So we need to pray for that in our own lives as a starting point, because the result when we welcome his refiner's fire is that we gain a spiritual strength that cannot be taken away from us. Refined gold is not only precious, but it is indestructible. If you just Google refined gold, you'll see definitions like this. There is no known natural substance that can destroy gold. It can be dissolved by chemical means, but even then it remains as gold only in a more widely dispersed state. Isn't that interesting? Because when gold has been purified and refined, it cannot easily be destroyed. That is the kind of a pure church that God desires to build for such a time as this. And it begins with us as individuals. Are we willing to lead by example within the modern church by allowing his refiner's fire to do that powerful work in our lives? And that is the question I want to challenge us to grapple with before God as we head into this series on navigating modern Christianity. But to summarize, there is hope for the modern church, and it is found in Jesus Christ. It is found in taking his advice and allowing ourselves to become zealous and repent and allow him in as he's standing at the door and knocking into that place of intimacy and fellowship that he desires. Let's not immediately respond with just disgust and criticism when we see modern Christianity, but with a personal repentance and willingness to pray the prayer, Lord, send a revival and let it begin with me. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into these truths, I encourage you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.